All right, welcome back, everybody, to Books for Boredom. Um, I am very happy to start this off by saying that we have now made it, of course, to our new book. And as you've seen from the title, it is The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. That's our classic novel for this, for these next five episodes. It's actually not much of a behemoth book as the rest of the ones that I've been reading have been so far. So it's going to be a little bit shorter, which I guess can be... A good thing because it means I can move on to other things faster um, but this book does pack a major punch for being on the shorter side um, for as I said before before I told everybody what this was uh, I said that a lot of people if you are past high school you probably read it during that time or if you're um, part of like the older demographic you probably read it a million years ago and don't remember it at all which is fine <laughs> because um, it's one of those books that can kind of get swept under the rug um, I was just talking to my mother about it um, shout out to mom hey mom and uh, she was saying that yeah she read it in in high school but or I th or she thinks she did but she doesn't remember anything not a single thing about it so I'm hoping that by reading this all we will be able to get back into what it was about um as i've said or maybe i haven't said this but i thought i did that this is my absolute favorite classic novel of all time um i read it my junior year of high school so it wasn't that long ago um but i absolutely fell in love with it because i too was kind of going through a, a hard time during those years and I just really resonated well with the main character, Holden. Um, he is, I'll just say for those of you who haven't read it, it is basically just like a story of this kid who's um, kind of going through life. He's trying to understand what he, it's like a slice of life kind of book. Like he's trying to get through um, things. He's gone through some trauma, some disappointments in his life. A lot of things are happening all at once. And he's just kind of recounting those moments and kind of telling you exactly how he felt at the time, what was going on, things like that. Um, but for me, I just like absolutely fell in love with it. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was just because I identified with it. I don't know if it was because I just love Holden as a character. I think he's hilarious and also like heartbreaking at the same time. Um, I have a soft spot for very sad books and I would definitely rate this one as a sad book. But um, I will say this now that I really hope that you guys are into talking to me about what you think about it because as I said this is my favorite so I could talk about this book for absolute ever so if anyone needs help if you are like I said before if you're going to be taking these um, tests if you're going to be reading this book in school whether you have already or you're about to it's important to really kind of understand what's going on so if you need a little bit more help i'm here i can be your little tutor um so yeah just reach out to me let me know what your thoughts are uh, i hope you guys like the book that i chose um i did put up my poll last week that um i'd like people to respond to so you can tell me what kind of books you're into um that way i can just make sure that i'm picking the right kind of stories for everyone so no one gets bored but now it's been about four minutes i've just been talking and i don't really want to talk anymore in terms of just me i'd rather get to reading so um 
Thank you for being on this journey with me. I appreciate all of you more than you know, and I'm so excited to get into this book, and I'll definitely see you guys next time with part two. The Catcher in the Rye Chapter 1 If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born, and what my lousy childhood was like, and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me, and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. In the first place, that stuff bores me. And in the second place, my parents would have had about two hemorrhages apiece if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all. I'm not saying that, but they're also touchy as hell. Besides, I'm not going to tell you my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas just before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. I mean, that's all I told DB about, and he's my brother, and all. He's in Hollywood. It isn't too far from this crummy place, and he comes over and visits me practically every weekend. He's going to drive me home when I go home next month, maybe. He just got a Jaguar. One of those little English jobs that can do around 200 miles an hour. It cost him near damn 4,000 bucks. He's got a lot of dough now. He didn't used to. He used to be just a regular writer when he was home. He wrote this terrific book of short stories, The Secret Goldfish, in case you never heard of him. The best one in it was The Secret Goldfish. It was about this little kid that wouldn't let anybody look at his goldfish because he'd bought it with his own money. It killed me. Now he's out in Hollywood, DB, being a prostitute. If there's one thing I hate, it's the movies. Don't even mention them to me. Where I want to start telling is the day I left Pensy Prep. Pensy Prep is a school that's in Agerstown, Pennsylvania. You probably heard of it. You've probably seen the ads anyway. They advertise in about a thousand magazines, always showing some hotshot guy on a horse jumping over a fence. Like as if all you ever did at Pensy was play polo all the time. I never even once saw a horse anywhere near the place. And underneath the guy on the horse's picture, it always says, Since 1888, we have been molding boys into splendid, clear-thinking young men. Strictly for the birds. They don't do any damn more molding at Pensy than they do at any other school. And I didn't know anybody there that was splendid and clear-thinking and all. Maybe two guys, if that many. And they probably came to Pensy that way. Anyway... It was the Saturday of the football game with Saxon Hall. The game with Saxon Hall was supposed to be a very big deal around Pensy. It was the last game of the year, and you were supposed to commit suicide or something if old Pensy didn't win. I remember around 3 o'clock that afternoon I was standing way the hell up on top of Thompson Hill, right next to this crazy cannon that was in the Revolutionary War and all. You could see the whole field from there, and you could see the two teams bashing each other all over the place. You couldn't see the grandstand too hot, but you could hear them all yelling, deep and terrific on the Pensy side, because practically the whole school except me was there, and scrawny and faggy on the Saxon Hall side because the visiting team hardly ever brought many people with them. There were never many girls at all at the football games. Only seniors were allowed to bring girls with them. It was a terrible school, no matter how you looked at it. I like to be somewhere at least where you can see a few girls around once in a while, even if they're only scratching their arms or blowing their noses or even just giggling or something. Old Selma Thurmer, she was the headmaster's daughter, showed up at the games quite often, but
but she wasn't exactly the type that drove you mad with desire. She was a pretty nice girl, though. I sat next to her once on the bus from Agerstown, and we sort of struck up a conversation. I liked her. She had a big nose, and her nails were all bitten down and bleedy-looking, and she had on those damn falsies that point all over the place, but she felt sort of sorry for her. What I liked about her, she didn't give you a lot of horse manure about what a great guy her father was. She probably knew what a phony slop he was. The reason I was standing way up on Thompson Hill instead of down at the game was because I just got back from New York with the fencing team. I was the goddamn manager of the fencing team. Very big deal. We'd gone into New York that morning for this fencing meet with McBurney School. Only we didn't have the meet. I left all the foils and equipment and stuff on the goddamn subway. It wasn't all my fault. I had to keep getting up to look at this map so we'd know where to get off. So we got back to Pensy around 2.30 instead of around dinner time. The whole team ostracized me the whole way back on the train. It was pretty funny in a way. The other reason I wasn't down at the game was because I was on my way to say goodbye to old Spencer, my history teacher. He had the grip, and I figured I probably wouldn't see him again till Christmas vacation started. He wrote me this note saying he wanted to see me before I went home. He knew I wasn't coming back to Pensy. I forgot to tell you that. They kicked me out. I wasn't supposed to come back after Christmas vacation on account of I was flunking four subjects and not applying myself and all. They gave me frequent warnings to start applying myself, especially around midterms, when my parents came up for a conference with old Thurmer, but I didn't do it, so I got the axe. They give guys the axe quite frequently at Pensy. It has a very good academic rating. It really does. Anyway, it was December and all, and it was cold as a witch's teat, especially on top of that stupid hill. I only had on my reversible and no gloves or anything. The week before that, somebody had stolen my camel's hair coat right out of my room, with my fur-lined gloves right in the pocket and all. Pensy was full of crooks. Quite a few guys came from these very wealthy families, but it was full of crooks anyway. The more expensive a school is, the more crooks it has. I'm not kidding. Anyway, I kept standing next to that crazy cannon looking down at the game and freezing my ass off, only I wasn't watching the game too much. What I was really hanging around for, I was trying to feel some kind of a goodbye. I mean, I've left schools and places I didn't even know I was leaving them. I hate that. I don't care if it's a sad goodbye or a bad goodbye, but when I leave a place, I like to know I'm leaving it. If you don't, you feel even worse. I was lucky. All of a sudden, I thought of something that helped to make me know I was getting the hell out. All of a sudden, I thought of something that helped to make me know I was getting the hell out. I suddenly remembered this time and around October that I and Robert Teichner and Paul Campbell were chucking a football around in front of the academic building. They were nice guys, especially Teichner. It was just before dinner and it was getting pretty dark out, but we kept chucking the ball around anyway. It kept getting darker and darker and we could hardly see the ball anymore, but we didn't want to stop doing what we were doing. Finally, we had to. This teacher that taught biology, Mr. Zambezi, stuck his head out of this window in the academic building and told us to go back to the dorm and get ready for dinner. If I get a chance to remember that kind of stuff, I can get a goodbye when I need one. At least most of the time I can. As soon as I got it, I turned around and started running down the other side of the hill, toward Old Spencer's house. He didn't live on the campus. He lived on Anthony Wayne Avenue. I ran all the way to the main gate, and then I waited a second till I got my breath. I have no wind, if you want to know the truth. I'm quite a heavy smoker, for one thing. That is, I used to be. 
They made me cut it out. Another thing, I grew six and a half inches last year. That's how I practically got TB and came out here for all these goddamn checkups and stuff. I'm pretty healthy, though. Anyway, as soon as I got my breath back, I ran across Route 204. It was icy as hell and I damn near fell down. I don't even know what I was running for. I guess I just felt like it. After I got across the road, I felt like I was sort of disappearing. It was that kind of a crazy afternoon. Terrifically cold and no sun out or anything, and you felt like you were disappearing every time you crossed the road. Boy, I rang that doorbell fast when I got to Old Spencer's house. I was really frozen. My ears were hurting and I could hardly move my fingers at all. Come on, come on, I said right out loud almost. Somebody opened the door. Finally, old Mrs. Spencer opened it. They didn't have a maid or anything, and they always opened the door themselves. They didn't have too much dough. Holden, Mrs. Spencer said. How lovely to see you. Come in, dear. Are you frozen to death? I think she was glad to see me. She liked me. At least I think she did. Boy, did I get into that house fast. How are you, Mrs. Spencer? I said. How's Mr. Spencer? Let me take your coat, she said. She didn't hear me ask her how Mr. Spencer was. She was sort of deaf. She hung up my coat in the hall closet and I sort of brushed my hair back with my hand. I wear a crew cut quite frequently and I never have to comb it much. How have you been, Mrs. Spencer? I said again, only louder so she'd hear me. I've been just fine, Holden. She closed the closet door. How have you been? The way she asked me, I knew right away old Spencer had told her I'd been kicked out. Fine, I said. How's Mr. Spencer? You over his grip yet? Over it? Holden, he's behaving like a perfect... I don't know what. He's in his room, dear. Go right in. Chapter 2 They each had their own room and all. They were both around 70 years old, or even more than that. They got a bang out of things, though in a half-assed way, of course. I know that seems mean to say, but I don't mean it mean. I just mean that I used to think about old Spencer quite a lot, and if you thought about him too much, you wondered what the hell he was still living for. I mean, he was all stooped over, and he had very terrible posture, and in class, whenever he dropped a piece of chalk at the blackboard, some guy in the first row always had to get up and pick it up and hand it to him. That's awful, in my opinion. But if you thought about him just enough and not too much, you could figure it out that he wasn't doing too bad for himself. For instance, one Sunday when some other guys and I were over there for hot chocolate, he showed us this old beat-up Navajo blanket that he and Mrs. Spencer had bought off some Indian in Yellowstone Park. You could tell old Spencer had got a big bang out of buying it. That's what I mean. You take somebody old as hell, like old Spencer, and they can get a big bang out of buying a blanket. His door was open, but I sort of knocked on it anyway just to be polite. I could see where he was sitting. He was sitting in a big leather chair, all wrapped up in that blanket I just told you about. He looked over at me when I knocked. Who's that? He yelled. Caulfield? Come in, boy. He was always yelling outside class. It got on your nerves sometimes. The minute I went in, I was sort of sorry I'd come. He was reading the Atlantic Monthly, and there were pills and medicine all over the place, and everything smelled like Vic's nose drops. It was pretty depressing. I'm not too crazy about sick people anyway. What made it even more depressing, old Spencer had on this very sad, ratty old bathrobe that he was probably born in or something. I don't much like to see old guys in their pajamas and bathrobes anyway. 
Their bumpy old chests are always showing, and their legs. Old guys' legs at beaches and places always look so white and unhairy. Hello, sir, I said. I got your note. Thanks a lot. He'd written me this note asking me to stop by and say goodbye before vacation started, on account of I wasn't coming back. He didn't have to do all that. I'd have come over to say goodbye anyway. Have a seat there, boy, old Spencer said. He meant the bed. I sat down on it. How's your grip, sir? My boy, if I felt any better, I'd have to send for the doctor, old Spencer said. That knocked him out. He started chuckling like a madman. Then he finally straightened himself out and said, Why aren't you down at the game? I thought this was the day of the big game. It is. I was. Only I just got back from New York with the fencing team, I said. Boy, his bed was like a rock. He started getting serious as hell. I knew he would. So you're leaving us, huh? He said. Yes, sir. I guess I am. He started going into this nodding routine. You never saw anybody nod as much in your life as old Spencer did. You never knew if he was nodding a lot because he was thinking and all, or just because he was a nice old guy that didn't know his ass from his elbow. What did Dr. Thurmer say to you, boy? I understand you had quite a little chat. Yes, we did. We really did. I was in his office for around two hours, I guess. What did he say to you? Oh, well, about life being a game and all, and how you should play it according to the rules. He was pretty nice about it. I mean, he didn't hit the ceiling or anything. He just kept talking about life being a game and all, you know. Life is a game, boy. Life is a game that one plays according to the rules. Yes, sir. I know it is, I, I know. Game my ass. Some game. If you get on the side where all the hotshots are, then it's a game, all right. I'll admit that. But if you get on the other side, where there aren't any hotshots, then what's a game about it? Nothing. No game. Has Dr. Thurmer written to your parents yet? Old Spencer asked me. He said he was going to write them Monday. Have you yourself communicated with them? No, sir. I haven't communicated with them because I'll probably see them Wednesday night when I get home. And how do you think they'll take the news? Well, they'll be pretty irritated about it, I said. They really will. This is about the fourth school I've gone to. I shook my head. I shake my head quite a lot. Boy, I said. I also say boy quite a lot. Partly because I have a lousy vocabulary, and partly because I act quite young for my age sometimes. I was 16 then, and I'm 17 now, and sometimes I act like I'm about 13. It's really ironical, because I'm six foot two and a half, and I have gray hair, I really do. The one side of my head, the right side, is full of millions of gray hairs. I've had them ever since I was a kid. And yet I still act sometimes like I was only about 12. Everybody says that, especially my father. It's partly true, too, but it isn't all true. People always think something's all true. I don't give a damn, except that I get bored sometimes when people tell me to act my age. Sometimes I act a lot older than I am. I really do, but people never notice it. People never notice anything. Old Spencer started nodding again. He also started picking his nose. He made out like he was only pinching it, but he was really getting the old thumb right in there. I guess he thought it was alright to do, because it was only me that was in the room. I didn't care, except that it's pretty disgusting to watch somebody pick their nose. Then he said, I had the privilege of meeting your mother and dad when they had their little chat with Dr. Thurmer some weeks ago. They're grand people. Yes, they are. They're very nice. 
Grand. There's a word I really hate. It's a phony. I could puke every time I hear it. Then all of a sudden, old Spencer looked like he had something very good, something sharp as a tack to say to me. He sat up more in his chair and sort of moved around. It was a false alarm, though. All he did was lift the Atlantic Monthly off his lap and try to chuck it on the bed next to me. He missed. It was only about two inches away, but he missed anyway. I got up and picked it up and put it down on the bed. All of a sudden then, I wanted to get the hell out of the room. I could feel a terrific lecture coming on. I didn't mind the idea so much, but I didn't feel like being lectured to and smell Vic's nose drops and look at old Spencer in his pajamas and bathrobe all at the same time. I really didn't. It started, all right. What's the matter with you, boy? Old Spencer said. He said it pretty tough, too, for him. How many subjects did you carry this term? Five, sir. Five. And how many are you failing in? Four. I moved my ass a little bit on the bed. It was the hardest bed I ever sat on. I passed English all right, I said, because I had all that Beowulf and Lord Randall, my son stuff when I was at the Wooten school. I mean, I didn't have to do any work in English at all, hardly, except write compositions once in a while. He wasn't even listening. He hardly ever listened to you when you said something. I flunked you in history because you knew absolutely nothing. I know that, sir. Boy, I know it. You couldn't help it. Absolutely nothing, he said over again. That's something that drives me crazy. When people say something twice that way after you admit it the first time, then he said it three times. Absolutely nothing. I doubt very much if you opened your textbook even once the whole term. Did you? Tell the truth. Well, I sort of glanced through it a couple of times, I told him. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. He was mad about history. You glanced through it, huh? He said, very sarcastic. Your, uh, exam paper is over there on top of my dresser, on top of the pile. Bring it here, please. It was a very dirty trick, but I went over and brought it over to him. I didn't have any alternative or anything. Then I sat down on his cement bed again. Boy, you can't imagine how sorry I was getting that I'd stopped by to say goodbye to him. He started handling my exam paper like it was a turd or something. We studied the Egyptians from November 4th to December 2nd, he said. You chose to write about them for the optional essay question. Would you care to hear what you had to say? No, sir. Not very much, I said. He read it anyway, though. You can't stop a teacher when they want to do something. They just do it. The Egyptians were an ancient race of Caucasians residing in one of the northern sections of Africa. The latter, as we all know, is the largest continent in the Eastern Hemisphere. I had to sit there and listen to that crap. It certainly was a dirty trick. The Egyptians are extremely interesting to us today for various reasons. Modern science would still like to know what the secret ingredients were that the Egyptians used when they wrapped up dead people so that their faces wouldn't rot for innumerable centuries. This interesting riddle is still quite a challenge to modern science in the 20th century. He stopped reading and put my paper down. I was beginning to sort of hate him. Your essay, shall we say, ends there, he said in his very sarcastic voice. You wouldn't think such an old guy would be so sarcastic. However, you dropped me a little note at the bottom of the page, he said. I know I did, I said. I said it very fast because I wanted to stop him before he started reading that out loud. But you couldn't. He was as hot as a firecracker. Dear Mr. Spencer, That is all I know about the Egyptians. I can't seem to get very interested in them, although your lectures are very interesting. 
It is all right with me if you flunk me, though, as I am flunking everything else except English. Respectfully yours, Holden Caulfield. He put my goddamn paper down then and looked at me like he'd just beaten hell out of me in ping pong or something. I don't think I'll ever forgive him for reading me that crap out loud. I wouldn't have read it out loud to him if he'd written it. In the first place, I'd only written that damn note so that he wouldn't feel too bad about flunking me. Do you blame me for flunking you? He said. No, sir, I certainly don't, I said. I wish to hell he'd stop calling me boy all the time. He tried chucking my exam paper on the bed when he was through with it. Only he missed again, naturally. I had to get up again and pick it up and put it on top of the Atlantic Monthly. It's boring to do that every two minutes. What would you have done in my place, he said. Tell the truth, boy. Well, you could see he really felt pretty lousy about flunking me, so I shot the bull for a while. I told him I was a real moron and all that stuff. I told him how I would have done exactly the same thing if I'd been in his place, and how most people didn't appreciate how tough it is being a teacher. That kind of stuff. The funny thing is, though, I was sort of thinking about something else while I shot the bull. I live in New York, and I was thinking about the lagoon in Central Park, down near Central Park South. I was wondering if it would be frozen over when I got home, and if it was, where did the ducks go? I was wondering where the ducks went when the lagoon got all icy and frozen over. I wondered if some guy came in a truck and took them away to a zoo or something, or if they just flew away. I'm lucky, though. I mean, I could shoot the old bull to old Spencer and think about those ducks at the same time. It's funny. You don't have to think too hard when you talk to a teacher. All of a sudden, though, he interrupted me while I was shooting the bull. He was always interrupting you. How do you feel about all this, boy? I'd be very interested to know. Very interested. You mean about my flunking out of Pensy and all? I said. I sort of wished he'd cover up his bumpy chest. It wasn't such a beautiful view. If I'm not mistaken, I believe you also had some difficulty at the Wooten School and at Elkton Hills. He didn't say it just sarcastic, but sorta nasty, too. I didn't have much difficulty at Elkton Hills, I told him. I didn't exactly flunk out or anything, I just quit, sort of. Why, may I ask? Why? Oh, well, it's a long story, sir. I mean, it's pretty complicated. I didn't feel like going into the whole thing with him. He wouldn't have understood it anyway. It wasn't up his alley at all. One of the biggest reasons I left Elkton Hills was because I was surrounded by phonies. That's all. They were coming in the goddamn window. For instance, they had this headmaster, Mr. Hawes, that was the phoniest bastard I'd ever met in my life. Ten times worse than old Thurmer. On Sundays, for instance, old Hawes went around shaking hands with everybody's parents when they drove up to school. He'd be charming as hell and all. Except if some boy had had old, funny-looking parents. You should have seen the way he did with my roommate's parents. I mean, if a boy's mother was sort of fat or corny looking or something, and if somebody's father was one of those guys that wear those suits with very big shoulders and corny black and white shoes, then old Hawes would just shake hands with them and give them a phony smile and then he'd go talk for maybe a half an hour with somebody else's parents. I can't stand that stuff. It drives me nuts. It makes me so depressed I go crazy. I hated that goddamn Elkton Hills. Old Spencer asked me something then, but I didn't hear him. I was thinking about old Haas. What, sir? I said. Do you have any particular qualms about leaving Pensy? Oh, I have a few qualms, all right. Sure, but not too many. Not yet, anyway. I guess it hasn't really hit me yet. It takes things a while to hit me. All I'm doing right now is thinking about going home Wednesday. I'm a moron. 
Do you feel absolutely no concern for your future? Oh, I feel some concern for my future, all right. Sure, sure I do. I thought about it for a minute. But not too much, I guess. Not too much. You will, old Spencer said. You will, boy. You will when it's too late. I didn't like hearing him say that. It made me sound dead or something. It was very depressing. I guess I will, I said. I'd like to put some sense in that head of yours, boy. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you if I can. He really was, too. You could see that. But it was just that we were too much on opposite sides of the pole, that's all. I know you are, sir, I said. Thanks a lot. No kidding, I appreciate it, I really do. I got up from the bed then. Boy, I couldn't have sat there another ten minutes to save my life. The thing is, though, I have to get going now. I have quite a bit of equipment at the gym I have to get to take home with me. I really do. He looked up at me and started nodding again with this very serious look on his face. I felt sorry as hell for him all of a sudden. But I just couldn't hang around there any longer, the way we were on opposite sides of the pole, and the way he kept missing the bed whenever he chucked something at it, and his sad old bathrobe with his chest showing, and that grippy smell of Vic's nose drops all over the place. Look, sir, don't worry about me, I said. I mean it. I'll be alright. I'm just going through a phase right now. Everybody goes through phases and all, right? I don't know, boy. I don't know. I hate it when someone answers that way. Sure they do, I said. I mean it, sir. Please don't worry about me. I sort of put my hand on his shoulder. Okay, I said. Wouldn't you like a cup of hot chocolate before you go? Mrs. Spencer would be... I would, I really would, but the thing is, I have to get going. I have to get right to the gym. Thanks, though. Thanks a lot, sir. Then we shook hands and all that crap. It made me feel sad as hell, though. I'll drop you a line, sir. Take care of your grip now. Goodbye, boy. After I shut the door and started back to the living room, he yelled something at me, but I couldn't exactly hear him. I'm pretty sure he yelled good luck at me. I hope not. I hope to hell not. I would never yell good luck at anybody. It sounds terrible when you think about it. Chapter 3 I am the most terrific liar you ever saw in your life. It's awful. If I'm on my way to the store to buy a magazine even and somebody asks me where I'm going, I'm liable to say I'm going to the opera. It's terrible. So when I told old Spencer I had to go to the gym to get my equipment and stuff, that was a sheer lie. I don't even keep my goddamn equipment in the gym. Where I lived at Pensy, I lived in the Ossenberger Memorial Wing of the new dorms. It was only for juniors and seniors. I was a junior. My roommate was a senior. It was named after this guy Ossenberger that went to Pensy. He made a pot of dough in the undertaking business after he got out of Pensy. What he did, he started these undertaking parlors all over the country that you could get members of your family buried for about five bucks apiece. You should see old Ossenberger. He probably just shoves them in a sack and dumps them in the river. Anyway, he gave Pensy a pile of dough, and they named our wing after him. The first football game of the year, he came up to school in this big goddamn Cadillac. And we all had to stand up in the grandstand and give him a locomotive. That's a cheer. Then, the next morning in chapel, he made a speech that lasted about ten hours. He started off with about fifty corny jokes just to show us what a regular guy he was. Very big deal. 
Then he started telling us how he was never ashamed when he was in some kind of trouble or something to get right down on his knees and pray to God. He told us we should always pray to God, talk to him and all, wherever we were. He told us we ought to think of Jesus as our buddy and all. He said he talked to Jesus all the time, even when he was driving his car. That killed me. I could just see the big phony bastard shifting into first gear and asking Jesus to send him a few more stiffs. The only good part of his speech was right in the middle. He was telling us all about what a swell guy he was, what a hot shot and all. Then all of a sudden this guy sitting in the row in front of me, Edgar Marsala, laid this terrific fart. It was a very crude thing to do in chapel, but it was also quite amusing. Old Marsala. He damn near blew the roof off. Hardly anybody laughed out loud, and old Ossenberger made out like he didn't even hear it, but old Thurmer, the headmaster, was sitting right next to him on the rostrum and all, and you could tell he heard it. Boy, was he sore. He didn't say anything then, but the next night he made us have compulsory study hall in the academic building, and he came up and made a speech. He said that the boy that had created the disturbance in chapel wasn't fit to go to Penzi. We tried to get old Marsala to rip off another one right while old Thurmer was making his speech, but he wasn't in the right mood. Anyway, that's where I lived at Pensy, old Ossenberger Memorial Wing in the new dorms. It was pretty nice to get back to my room after I left old Spencer because everybody was down at the game and the heat was on in our room for a change. It felt sort of cozy. I took off my coat and my tie and unbuttoned my shirt collar and then I put on this hat that I'd bought in New York that morning. It was this red hunting hat with one of those very, very long peaks. I saw it in the window of the sports store when we got out of the subway, just after I noticed I'd lost all the goddamn foils. It only cost me a buck. The way I wore it, I swung the old peak way around to the back, very corny, I'll admit, but I liked it that way. I looked good in it that way. Then I got this book I was reading and sat down in my chair. There were two chairs in every room. I had one and my roommate, Ward Stratlater, had one. The arms were in sad shape, because everybody was always sitting on them, but they were pretty comfortable chairs. The book I was reading was this book I took out of the library by mistake. They gave me the wrong book, and I didn't notice it until I got back to my room. They gave me Out of Africa by Isaac Denison. I thought it was going to stink, but it didn't. It was a very good book. I'm quite illiterate, but I read a lot. My favorite author is my brother, D.B., and my next favorite is Ring Lardner. My brother gave me a book by Ring Lardner for my birthday just before I went to Pensy. It had these very funny, crazy plays in it. And then it had this one story about a traffic cop that falls in love with this very cute girl that's always speeding. Only he's married, the cop, so he can't marry her or anything. Then this girl gets killed because she's always speeding. That story just about killed me. What I like best is a book that's at least funny once in a while. I read a lot of classical books, like The Return of the Native and all. And I like them, and I read a lot of war books and mysteries, but they don't knock me out too much. What really knocks me out is a book that, when you're all done reading it, you wish the author that wrote it was a terrific friend of yours, and you could call him up on the phone whenever you felt like it. That doesn't happen much, though. I wouldn't mind calling this Isaac Denison up, and ring Lardner except that DB told me he's dead. You take that book of human bondage by Somerset Maugham, though? I read it last summer. It's a pretty good book and all, but I wouldn't want to call Somerset Mom up. I don't know. He just isn't the kind of a guy I'd want to call up, that's all. I'd rather call old Thomas Hardy up. Anyway, 
I put on my new hat and sat down and started reading that book out of Africa. I'd read it already, but I wanted to read certain parts over again. I'd only read about three pages, though, when I heard somebody coming through the shower curtains. Even without looking up, I knew right away who it was. It was Robert Ackley, this guy that roomed right next to me. There was a shower right between every two rooms on our wing, and about 85 times a day, old Ackley barged in on me. He was probably the only guy in the whole dorm besides me that wasn't down at the game. He hardly ever went anywhere. He was a very peculiar guy. He was a senior, and he'd been at Pensy the whole four years and all, but nobody ever called him anything except Ackley. Not even Herb Gale, his old roommate, ever called him Bob or even Ack. If he ever gets married, his own wife will probably call him Ackley. He was one of these very, very tall, round-shouldered guys. He was about 6'4", with lousy teeth. The whole time he roomed next to me, I never even once saw him brush his teeth. They always looked mossy and awful, and he damn near made you sick if you saw him in the dining room with his mouth full of mashed potatoes and peas or something. Besides that, he had a lot of pimples. Not just on his forehead or his chin, like most guys, but all over his whole face. And not only that, he had a terrible personality. He was also sort of a nasty guy. I wasn't too crazy about him, to tell you the truth. I could feel him standing on the shower ledge right behind my chair, taking a look to see if Stradlater was around. He hated Stradlater's guts, and he never came in the room if Stradlater was around. He hated everybody's guts, damn near. He came down off the shower ledge and came in the room. Hi, he said. He always said it like he was terrifically bored or terrifically tired. He didn't want you to think he was visiting you or anything. He wanted you to think he'd come in by mistake, for God's sake. Hi, I said, but I didn't look up from my book. With a guy like Ackley, if you looked up from your book, you were a goner. You were a goner anyway, but not as quick if you didn't look up right away. He started walking around the room, very slow, the way he always did, picking up your personal stuff off your desk and chiffonier. He always picked up your personal stuff and looked at it. Boy, could he get on your nerves sometimes. How was the fencing, he said. He just wanted me to quit reading and enjoying myself. He didn't give a damn about the fencing. We win or what, he said. Nobody won, I said, without looking up, though. What, he said. He always made you say everything twice. Nobody won, I said. I sneaked a look to see what he was fiddling with on my chiffonier. He was looking at this picture of this girl I used to go around with in New York, Sally Hayes. He must have picked up that goddamn picture and looked at it at least 5,000 times since I got it. He always puts it back in the wrong place, too, when he was done. He did it on purpose, you could tell. Nobody won, he said. How come? I left the goddamn foils and stuff on the subway. I still didn't look up at him. On the subway, for Christ's sake. You lost them, you mean? We got on the wrong subway. I had to keep getting up to look at a goddamn map on the wall. He came over and stood right in my light. Hey, I said. I have read this same sentence about 20 times since you came in. Anybody else except Ackley would have taken the goddamn hint. Not him, though. Think they'll make you pay for him, he said? I don't know, and I don't give a damn. How about sitting down or something, Ackley kid? You're right in my goddamn light. He didn't like it when he called him Ackley kid. He was always telling me I was a goddamn kid because I was 16 and he was 18. It drove him mad when I called him Ackley Kid. He kept standing there. He was the exactly the kind of guy that wouldn't get out of your light when you asked him to. He'd do it, finally, but it took him a lot longer if you asked him to. 
What the hell are you reading? He said. Goddamn book. He shoved my book back with his hand so that he could see the name of it. Any good? He said. This sentence I'm reading is terrific. I can be quite sarcastic when I'm in the mood. He didn't get it though. He started walking around the room again, picking up all of my personal stuff and Stradleaders. Finally, I put my book down on the floor. You couldn't read anything with a guy like Ackley around. It was impossible. I slid way the hell down in my chair and watched old Ackley making himself at home. I was feeling sort of tired from the trip to New York and all, and I started yawning. Then I started horsing around a little bit. Sometimes I horse around quite a lot, just to keep from getting bored. What I did was, I pulled the old peak of my hunting hat around to the front, then pulled it way down over my eyes. That way I couldn't see a goddamn thing. I think I'm going blind, I said, in this very hoarse voice. Mother, darling, everything's getting so dark in here. You're nuts, I swear to God, Ackley said. Mother, darling, give me your hand. Why won't you give me your hand? For Christ's sake, grow up. I started groping around in front of me like a blind guy but without getting up or anything. I kept saying, Mother, darling, why won't you give me your hand? I was only horsing around, naturally. That stuff gives me a bang sometimes. Besides, I know what annoyed hell out of old Ackley. He always brought out the old sadist in me. I was pretty sadistic with him quite often. Finally, I quit, though. I pulled the peak around to the back again and relaxed. Who belongs to this? Ackley said. He was holding my roommate's knee supporter up to show me. That guy Ackley'd pick up anything. He'd even pick up your jockstrap or something. I told him it was Stradlater's, so he chucked it on Stradlater's bed. He got it off Stradlater's chiffonier, so he chucked it on the bed. He came over and sat down on the arm of Stradlater's chair. He never sat down in a chair, just always on the arm. Where the hell did you get that hat, he said. New York? How much? A buck. You got robbed. He started cleaning his goddamn fingernails with the end of a match. He was always cleaning his fingernails. It was funny in a way. His teeth were always mossy looking and his ears were always dirty as hell, but he was always cleaning his fingernails. I guess he thought that made him a very neat guy. He took another look at my hat while he was cleaning then. Up home we wear a hat like that to shoot deer in for Christ's sake, he said. That's a deer shooting hat. Like hell it is. I took it off and looked at it. I sort of closed one eye like I was taking aim at it. This is a people shooting hat, I said. I shoot people in this hat. Your folks know you get kicked out yet? Nope. Where the hell's Stradlater at, anyway? Down at the game. He's got a date. I yawned. I was yawning all over the place. For one thing, the room was too damn hot. It made me sleepy. I pensy you either froze to death or you died of heat. The great Stradlater, Ackley said. Hey, lend me your scissors a second, will ya? You have them handy? No, I packed them already. They're way on the top of the closet. Get them a second, will you? Ackley said. I got this hangnail I want to cut off. He didn't care if you'd packed something or not and had it way in the top of the closet. I got them for him, though. I nearly got killed doing it, too. The second I opened the closet door, Stradlater's tennis racket, in its wooden press and all, fell right on my head. It made a big clunk, and it hurt like hell. It damn near killed old Ackley, though. He started laughing in this very high falsetto voice. He kept laughing the whole time I was taking down my suitcase and getting the scissors out for him. Something like that. A guy getting hit on the head with a rock or something tickles the pants off Ackley. You have a damn good sense of humor, Ackley kid, I told him. You know that? I handed him the scissors. 
Let me be your manager. I'll get you on the goddamn radio. I sat down in my chair again and he started cutting his big, horny-looking nails. How about using the table or something, I said. Cut them over the table, will you? I don't feel like walking on your crummy nails on my bare feet tonight. He kept right on cutting them over the floor, though. What lousy manners. I mean it. Who's Stradlater's date, he said. He was always keeping tabs on who Stradlater was dating, even though he hated Stradlater's guts. I don't know. Why? No reason. Boy, I can't stand that son of a bitch. He's one son of a bitch I really can't stand. He's crazy about you. He told me he thinks you're a goddamn prince, I said. I call people a prince quite often when I'm horsing around. It keeps me from getting bored or something. He's got this superior attitude all the time, Ackley said. I just can't stand the son of a bitch. You'd think he- Do you mind cutting your nails over the table? I said. I've asked you about fifty- He's got this goddamn superior attitude all the time, Ackley said. I don't even think the son of a bitch is intelligent. He thinks he is. He thinks he's about the most- Ackley, for Christ's sake! Will you please cut your crummy nails over the table? I've asked you fifty times. He started cutting his nails over the table for a change. The only way he ever did anything was if you yelled it at him. I watched him for a while. Then I said, The reason you're sore at Stradlater is because he said that stuff about brushing your teeth once in a while. He didn't mean to insult you for crying out loud. He didn't say it right or anything, but he didn't mean anything insulting. All he meant was that you'd look better and feel better if you sort of brush your teeth once in a while. I brush my teeth. Don't give me that. No, you don't. I've seen you and you don't, I said. I didn't say it nasty, though. I felt sort of sorry for him, in a way. I mean, it isn't too nice, naturally, if somebody tells you you don't brush your teeth. Stradlater's alright. He's not too bad, I said. You don't know him. That's the trouble. I still say he's a son of a bitch. He's a conceited son of a bitch. He is conceited, but he's very generous in some things. He really is, I said. Look, suppose, for instance, Stradlater was wearing a tie or something that you liked. Say he had a tie on that you liked a hell of a lot. I'm just giving you an example. Do you know what he'd do? He'd probably take it off and give it to you. He really would. Or, you know what he'd do? He'd leave it on your bed or something. But he'd give you the goddamn tie. Most guys would probably just... Hell, Ackley said. If I had his dough, I would too. No, you wouldn't. I shook my head. No, you wouldn't, Ackley kid. If you had his dough, you'd be one of the biggest... Stop calling me Ackley, kid, goddammit. I'm old enough to be your lousy father. No, you're not. Boy, he could really be aggravating sometimes. He never missed a chance to let you know you were 16 and he was 18. In the first place, I wouldn't let you in my goddamn family, I said. Well, just cut out calling me. All of a sudden, the door opened, and old Stradlater barged in in a big hurry. He was always in a big hurry. Everything was a very big deal. He came over to me and gave me these two playful-as-hell slaps on both cheeks, which is something that can be very annoying. Listen, he said. You going out anywhere special tonight? I don't know, I might. What the hell's it doing out, snowing? He had snow all over his coat. Yeah, listen. If you're not going out anyplace special, how about lending me your houndstooth jacket? Who won the game, I said. It's only the half. We're leaving, Stradlater said. No kidding, you gonna use your hound's tooth tonight or not? I spilled some crap all over my grape flannel. No, but I don't want you stretching it with your goddamn shoulders, I said. We were practically the same height, but he weighed about twice as much as I did. 
He had these very broad shoulders. I won't stretch it. He went over to the closet in a big hurry. How's the boy, Ackley? He said to Ackley. He was at least a pretty friendly guy, Stradlater. It was partly a phony kind of friendly, but at least he always said hello to Ackley and all. Ackley just sort of grunted when he said, how's a boy? He wouldn't answer him, but he didn't have guts enough not to at least grunt. Then he said to me, I think I'll get going. See you later. Okay, I said. He never exactly broke your heart when he went back to his own room. Old Stradlater started taking off his coat and tie and all. I think maybe I'll take a really fast shave, he said. He had a pretty heavy beard. Where's your date, I asked him. She's waiting in the annex. He went out of the room with his toilet kit and towel under his arm, no shirt on or anything. He always walks around on his bare torso because he thinks he has a damn good build. He does, too. I have to admit it. Chapter 4 I didn't have anything special to do, so I went down to the can and chewed the rag with him while he was shaving. We were the only ones in the can because everybody was still down at the game. It was hot as hell, and the windows were all steamy. There were about ten washbowls, all right against the wall. Stradlater had the middle one. I sat down on the one right next to him and started turning the cold water on and off. This nervous habit I have. Stradlater kept whistling Song of India while he shaved. He had one of those very piercing whistles that are practically never in tune, and he always picked out some song that's hard to whistle even if you're a good whistler, like Song of India or Slaughter on 10th Avenue. He could really mess his song up. You remember I said before that Ackley was a slob in his personal habits? Well, so was Stradlater, but in a different way. Stradlater was more of a secret slob. He always looked alright, Stradlater, but for instance, you should have seen the razor he shaved himself with. It was always rusty as hell and full of lather and hair and crap. He never cleaned it or anything. He always looked good when he was finished fixing himself up. But he was a secret slob anyway, if you knew him the way I did. The reason he fixed himself up to look good was because he was madly in love with himself. He thought he was the handsomest guy in the Western Hemisphere. He was pretty handsome too, I'll admit it. But he was mostly the kind of a handsome guy that if your parents saw his picture in your yearbook, they'd right away say, who's this boy? I mean, he was mostly a yearbook kind of handsome guy. I knew a lot of guys at Pensy I thought were a lot handsomer than Stradlater, but they wouldn't look handsome if you saw their pictures in the yearbook. They'd look like they had big noses or their ears stuck out. I've had that experience frequently. Anyway, I was sitting on the washbowl next to where Stradlater was shaving, sort of turning the water on and off. I still had my red hunting hat on, with the peak around to the back. I really got a bang out of that hat. Hey, Stradlater said. Do you want to do me a big favor? What? I said. Not too enthusiastic. He was always asking you to do him a big favor. You take a very handsome guy or a guy that thinks he's a real hotshot, and they're always asking you to do them a big favor. Just because they're crazy about themselves, they think you're crazy about them too, and that you're just dying to do them a favor. Sort of funny in a way. Are you going out tonight? He said. I might. I might not. I don't know. Why? I got about a hundred pages to read for history for Monday, he said. How about writing a composition for me, for English? I'll be up the creek if I don't get the goddamn thing in by Monday, the reason I ask. How about it? It was very ironical. It really was. I'm the one that's flunking out of the goddamn place, and you're asking me to write you a goddamn composition? I said. Yeah, I know. The thing is, though, I'll be up the creek if I don't get it in. Be a buddy, okay? I didn't answer him right away. 
Suspense is good for some bastards like Stred later. What on, I said. Anything. Anything descriptive. A room, or a house, or something you once lived in or something, you know. Just as long as it's descriptive as hell. He gave out a big yawn while he said that, which is something that gives me a royal pain in the ass. I mean, if somebody yawns right while they're asking you to do them a goddamn favor. Just don't do it too good, is all, he said. That son of a bitch Hartzell thinks you're a hotshot in English and he knows you're my roommate. So I mean, don't stick all the commas and stuff in the right place. That's something else that gives me a royal pain. I mean, if you're good at writing compositions and somebody starts at talking about commas, Stradlater was always doing that. He wanted you to think that the only reason he was lousy at writing compositions was because he stuck all the commas in the wrong spot. He was a little bit like Ackley, that way. I once sat next to Ackley at this basketball game. We had a terrific guy on the team, Howie Coyle, that could sink them from the middle of the floor without even touching the backboard or anything. Ackley kept saying the whole goddamn game that Coyle had a perfect build for basketball. God, how I hate that stuff. I got bored sitting on that washbowl after a while, so I backed up a few feet and started doing this tap dance just for the hell of it. I was just amusing myself. I can't really tap dance or anything, but it was a stone floor in the can and it was good for tap dancing. I started imitating one of those guys in the movies, and one of those musicals. I hate the movies like Poison, but I got a bang imitating them. Old Stradlater watched me in the mirror while he was shaving. All I need is an audience. I'm an exhibitionist. I'm the goddamn governor's son, I said. I was knocking myself out. Tap dancing all over the place. He doesn't want me to be a tap dancer. He wants me to go to Oxford. But it's in my goddamn blood, tap dancing. Old Stradlater laughed. He didn't have too big a sense of humor. It's the opening night of the Ziegfeld Follies. I was getting out of breath. I have hardly any wind at all. The leading man can't go on. He's drunk as a bastard. So who do they get to take his place? Me. That's who. The little old goddamn governor's son. Where'd you get that hat? Stradlater said. He meant my hunting hat. He'd never seen it before. I was out of breath anyway, so I quit horsing around. I took off my hat and looked at it for about the 90th time. I got it in New York this morning. For a buck. You like it? Stradlater nodded. Sharp, he said. He was only flattering me, though, because right away he said, Listen, are you going to write that composition for me? I have to know. If I get the time, I will. If I don't, I won't, I said. I went over and sat down on the washbowl next to him again. Who's your date? I asked. Fitzgerald? Hell no. I told you I'm through with that pig. Yeah? Give her to me, boy. No kidding, she's my type. Take her. She's too old for you. All of a sudden, for no good reason, really, except that I was sort of in the mood for horsing around, I felt like jumping off the washbowl and getting all Stradlater and a half Nelson. That's a wrestling hold, in case you don't know, where you get the other guy around the neck and choke him to death if you feel like it. So I did it. I landed on him like a goddamn panther. Cut it out, Holden, for Christ's sake, Stradlater said. He didn't feel like horsing around. He was shaving and all. What do you want to make me do, cut my goddamn head off? I didn't let go, though. I had a pretty good half-Nelson on him. Liberate yourself from my vice-like grip, I said. Jesus Christ. He put down his razor and all of a sudden jerked his arms up and sort of broke my hold on him. He was a very strong guy. I'm a very weak guy. Now cut out the crap, he said. He started shaving himself all over again. He always shaved himself twice to look gorgeous with his crummy old razor. Who is your date, if it isn't Fitzgerald, I asked him. I sat down on the washbowl next to him again. That Phyllis Smith, babe? 
No, it was supposed to be, but the arrangements got all screwed up. I got Bud Thaw's girl's roommate now. Hey, I almost forgot. She knows you. Who does? I asked. My date. Yeah, I said. What's her name? I was pretty interested. I'm thinking... Um, Jean Gallagher. Boy, I nearly dropped dead when he said that. Jane Gallagher, I said. I even got up from the washbowl when he said that. I damn near dropped dead. You're damn right I know her. She practically lived right next door to me the summer before last. She had this big, damn Doberman. That's how I met her. Her dog used to keep coming over and our- You're right in my light, Holden, for Christ's sake, Stradlater said. You have to stand right there? Boy, was I excited, though. I really was. Where is she? I asked him. I ought to go down and say hello to her or something. Where is she? In the annex? Yeah. How'd she happen to mention me? Does she go to BM now? She said she might go there. She said she might go to Shipley, too. I thought she went to Shipley. How'd she happen to mention me? I was pretty excited. I really was. I don't know, for Christ's sake. Lift up, will you? You're on my towel, Stradlater said. I was sitting on a stupid towel. Jane Gallagher, I said. I couldn't get over it. Jesus H. Christ. Old Stradlater was putting Vitalis on his hair. My Vitalis. She's a dancer, I said. Ballet. She used to practice about two hours every day, right in the middle of the hottest weather. She was worried that it might make her legs lousy, all thick and all. I used to play checkers with her all the time. You used to play what with her all the time? Checkers. Checkers? Yeah, she wouldn't move any of her kings. What she'd do when she'd get a king, she wouldn't move it. She'd just leave it in the back row. She'd get them all lined up in the back row, then she'd just never use them. She just liked the way they looked when they were all in the back row. Stradlater didn't say anything. That kind of stuff doesn't interest most people. Her mother belonged to the same club we did, I said. I used to caddy once in a while just to make some dough. I caddied for her mother a couple of times. She went around in about 170 for nine holes. Stradlater wasn't hardly listening. He was combing his gorgeous locks. I ought to go down and at least say hello to her, I said. Why don't you? I will, in a minute. He started parting his hair all over again. It took him about an hour to comb his hair. Her mother and father were divorced. Her mother was married again to some booze hound, I said. Skinny guy with hairy legs. I remember him. He wore shorts all the time. Jane said he was supposed to be a playwright or some goddamn thing, but all I ever saw him do was booze all the time and listen to every single goddamn mystery program on the radio and run around the goddamn house naked with Jane around. Yeah, Stradlater said. That really interested him. About the booze hound running around the house naked with Jane around. Stradlater was a very sexy bastard. She had a lousy childhood, I'm not kidding. That didn't interest Stradlater, though. Only very sexy stuff interested him. Jane Gallagher. Jesus. I couldn't get her off my mind. I really couldn't. I ought to go down and say hello to her, at least. Why the hell don't you, instead of keep saying it? Stradlater said. I walked over to the window, but you couldn't see out of it. It was so steamy from all the heat in the can. I'm not in the mood right now, I said. I wasn't either. You have to be in the mood for those things. I thought she went to Shipley. I could have sworn she went to Shipley. I walked around the can for a little while. I didn't have anything else to do. Did she enjoy the game? I said. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Did she tell you we used to play checkers all the time or anything? I don't know. For Christ's sake, I only just met her, Stradlater said. He was finishing combing his goddamn gorgeous hair. 
He was putting away all his crummy toilet articles. Listen, give her my regards, will you? Okay, Stradlater said, but I know he probably wouldn't. You take a guy like Stradlater, they never give your regards to people. He went back to the room, but I stuck around in the can for a while, thinking about old Jane. Then I went back to the room, too. Stradlater was putting on his tie in front of the mirror when I got there. He spent around half his goddamn life in front of the mirror. I sat down in my chair and sort of watched him for a while. Hey, I said. Don't tell her I got kicked out, okay? Okay. That was one good thing about Stradlater. You didn't have to explain every goddamn little thing with him, the way you had to do with Ackley. Mostly, I guess, because he wasn't too interested. That's really why. Ackley, it was different. Ackley was a very nosy bastard. He put on my hound's tooth jacket. Jesus, now try not to stretch it all over the place, I said. I'd only worn it about twice. I won't. Where the hell's my cigarettes? On the desk. He never knew where he left anything. Under your muffler. He put them in his coat pocket. My coat pocket. I pulled the peak of my hunting hat around to the front all of a sudden for a change. I was getting sort of nervous all of a sudden. I'm quite a nervous guy. Listen, where are you going on your date with her? I asked him. Do you know yet? I don't know. New York, if we have time. She only signed out for 9.30, for Christ's sake. I didn't like the way he said it, so I said, The reason she did that, she probably just didn't know what a handsome, charming bastard you are. If she had known, she probably would have signed out for 9.30 in the morning. Goddamn right, Stradlater said. You couldn't rile him too easily. He was too conceited. No kidding, now. Do that composition for me, he said. He had his coat on, and he was all ready to go. Don't knock yourself out or anything, but just make it descriptive as hell, okay? I didn't answer him. I didn't feel like it. All I said was, Ask her if she still keeps all her kings in the back row. Okay, Stradlater said, but I knew he wouldn't. Take it easy now. He banged the hell out of the room. I sat there for about a half hour after he left. I mean, I just sat in my chair, not doing anything. I kept thinking about Jane and about Stradlater having a date with her. It made me so nervous I nearly went crazy. I already told you what a sexy bastard Stradlater was. All of a sudden, Ackley barged back in again through the damn shower curtains as usual. For once in my stupid life, I was really glad to see him. He took my mind off of the other stuff. He stuck around till after dinner time, talking about all the guys at Pensy that he hated their guts and squeezing this big pimple on his chin. He didn't even use his handkerchief. I don't even think the bastard had a handkerchief, if you want to know the truth. I never saw him use one, anyway. Chapter 5 We always had the same meal on Saturday nights at Pensy. It was supposed to be a big deal because they gave you steak. I'll bet a thousand bucks the reason they did that was because a lot of guys' parents came up for school on Sunday, and old Thurmer probably figured everybody's mother would ask their darling boy what he had for dinner last night, and he'd say, steak. What a racket. You should have seen the steaks. They were these little hard, dry jobs that you could hardly even cut. You always got these very lumpy mashed potatoes on steak night, and for dessert you got brown betty, which nobody ate except maybe the little kids in the lower school that didn't know any better, and guys like Ackley that ate everything. It was nice though. When we got out of the dining room, there were about three inches of snow on the ground and it was still coming down like a madman. It looked pretty as hell, and we all started throwing snowballs and horsing around all over the place. It was very childish, but everybody was really enjoying themselves. 
I didn't have a date or anything, so I and this friend of mine, Mal Brossard, that was on the wrestling team, decided we'd take a bus into Eggerstown and have a hamburger and maybe see a lousy movie. Neither of us felt like sitting around on our ass all night. I asked Mal if he minded if Ackley came along with us. The reason I asked was because Ackley never did anything on Saturday night except stay in his room and squeeze his pimples or something. Mal said he didn't mind, but that he wasn't too crazy about the idea. He didn't like Ackley much. Anyway, we both went to our rooms to get ready and all, and while I was putting on my galoshes and crap, I yelled over and asked old Ackley if he wanted to go to the movies. He could hear me all right through the shower curtains, but he didn't answer me right away. He was the kind of guy that hates to answer you right away. Finally, he came over through the goddamn curtains and stood on the shower ledge and asked who was going besides me. He always had to know who was going, I swear. If that guy was shipwrecked somewhere, and you rescued him in a goddamn boat, he'd want to know who the guy was that was rowing it before he'd even get in. I told him Mal Brossard was going. He said, that bastard. Alright, wait a second. You'd think he was doing you a big favor. It took him about five hours to get ready. While he was doing it, I went over to my window and opened it and packed a snowball with my bare hands. The snow was very good for packing. I didn't throw it at anything. I started to, at a car that was parked across the street. But I changed my mind. The car looked so nice and white. Then I started to throw it at a hydrant, but that looked too nice and white too. Finally, I didn't throw it at anything. All I did was close the window and walk around the room with the snowball, packing it harder. A little while later, I still had it with me when I am Brossard and Ackley got on the bus. The bus driver opened the doors and made me throw it out. I told him I wasn't going to chuck it at anybody, but he wouldn't believe me. People never believe me. Brossard and Ackley both had seen the picture that was playing. So all we did, we just had a couple of hamburgers and played the pinball machine for a little while, then took the bus back to Pensy. I didn't care about not seeing the movie anyway. It was supposed to be a comedy with Cary Grant in it and all that crap. Besides, I'd been to the movies with Brossard and Ackley before. They both laughed like hyenas at stuff that wasn't even funny. I didn't even enjoy sitting next to them in the movies. It was only about a quarter to nine when we got back to the dorm. Old Brossard was a bridge fiend and he started looking around the dorm for a game. Old Ackley parked himself in my room just for a change. Only, instead of sitting on the arm of Strylator's chair, he laid down on my bed with his face right on my pillow. He started talking in this very monotonous voice and picking at all his pimples. I dropped about a thousand hints, but I couldn't get rid of him. All he did was keep talking in this very monotonous voice about some babe he was supposed to have had sexual intercourse with the summer before. He'd already told me about it a different hundred times. Every time he told it, it was different. One minute he'd be giving it to her in his cousin's Buick, the next minute he'd be giving it to her under some boardwalk. It was all a lot of crap, naturally. He was a virgin if ever I saw one. I doubt if he ever even gave anybody a feel. Anyway, finally I had to come right out and tell him that I had to write a composition for Stradleader and that he had to clear the hell out so I could concentrate. He finally did, but he took his time about it, as usual. After he left, I put on my pajamas and bathrobe and my old hunting hat and started writing the composition. The thing was, I couldn't think of a room or a house or anything to describe the way Stradlater said he had to have. I'm not too crazy about describing rooms and houses anyway. So what I did, I wrote about my brother, Allie's baseball mitt. It was a very descriptive subject. It really was. My brother Allie had this left-handed fielder's mitt. He was left-handed. The thing that was descriptive about it, though, was that he had poems written all over the fingers, and the pockets, and everywhere. 
and green ink. He wrote them on it so that he'd have something to read when he was in the field and nobody was up at bat. He's dead now. He got leukemia and died when we were up in Maine on July 18, 1946. You'd have liked him. He was two years younger than I was, but he was about 50 times as intelligent. He was terrifically intelligent. His teachers were always writing letters to my mother, telling her what a pleasure it was having a boy like Allie in their class. And they weren't just shooting the crap. They really meant it. But it wasn't just that he was the most intelligent member in the family. He was also the nicest in lots of ways. He never got mad at anybody. People with red hair are supposed to get mad very easily, but Allie never did, and he had very red hair. I'll tell you what kind of red hair he had. I started playing golf when I was only 10 years old. I remember once, the summer I was around 12, teeing off and all and having a hunch that if I turned around all of a sudden, I'd see Allie. So I did, and sure enough, he was sitting on his bike outside the fence. There was this fence that went all around the course and he was sitting there about 150 yards behind me watching me tee off. That's the kind of red hair he had. God, he was a nice kid, though. He used to laugh so hard at something he thought of at the dinner table that he just fell off his chair. I was only 13, and they were going to have me psychoanalyzed and all because I broke all the windows in the garage. I don't blame them. I really don't. I slept in the garage the night he died, and I broke all the goddamn windows with my fist just for the hell of it. I even tried to break all the windows on the station wagon we had that summer, but my hand was already broken and everything by that time, and I couldn't do it. It was a very stupid thing to do. I'll admit, but I hardly didn't even know I was doing it, and you didn't know, Allie. My hand still hurts me once in a while when it rains, and I can't make a real fist anymore. Not a tight one. But outside of that, I don't care much. I mean, I'm not going to be a goddamn surgeon or a violinist or anything anyways. Anyway, that's what I wrote Stradlater's composition about, Old Alley's Baseball Mitt. I happened to have it with me in my suitcase, so I got it out and copied down the poems that were written on it. All I had to do was change Alley's name so that nobody would know it was my brother and not his. I wasn't too crazy about doing it, but I couldn't think of anything else descriptive. Besides, I sort of liked writing about it. It took me about an hour, because I had to use Stradlater's lousy typewriter and it kept jamming on me. The reason I didn't use my own was because I'd lent it to a guy down the hall. It was around 10.30, I guess, when I finished it. I wasn't tired, though, so I looked out the window for a while. It wasn't snowing anymore, but every once in a while you could hear a car somewhere not being able to get started. You could also hear old Ackley snoring. Right through the goddamn shower curtains you could hear him. He had sinus trouble and he couldn't breathe too hot when he was asleep. That guy had just about everything. Sinus trouble, pimples, lousy teeth, halitosis, crummy fingernails. You had to feel a little sorry for the crazy son of a bitch. <laughs>